Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series, The Book of Acts, The Church, Then and Now, and was preached on August 6, 2023. I uh, briefly considered changing my shirt um, to be a little less informal when I came up to preach But then I read my sermon notes, and I thought you might need some disaster relief. So I decided to uh, keep it on. So this is an appropriate shirt. However, I'm already offering you some relief, okay? I I had scheduled today an eight-point sermon with six practical steps. I'm giving you a four-point sermon with three practical steps, and we'll finish it up next week. Um, So I already offered you some relief. If you get out on time, you can thank me on uh, the way out for doing that. We are beginning a new sermon series today based on the book of Acts. Now, in this series, I I won't be doing like I did in Luke. I won't cover every verse or ever even chapter. We're going to look at major themes from the early church in the book of Acts and then apply them to our church today. Because listen, I want you to understand this. I believe this. The American church has some unhealthy trends, and we need to avoid those at ABC. We need to stay on track and understand what Jesus wants from us, and we need to focus on those things. We want to be built on the right foundation and not just do what other churches are doing unless it's built on the Bible. For example, I don't want us to be a political church. We're not red or blue or green or even purple. Let the world preach politics. They're good at it. Well, except when they're lying. So maybe they're not good at it. I I don't know, but that's not our job. We will preach Jesus. That's our job. I don't want to be a consumer church. I find more and more Christians who, they're looking for a church that will cater to me. You know, I I want a church that will do everything my way, do everything I want, and and maybe I'll join and then I'll just sit back and enjoy. Sing my songs, have my programs on my schedule, and I'll just enjoy it. Those churches end up becoming inwardly focused. And I don't want us to be an inwardly focused church. Just, Just please us. I want us to be a church that serves Jesus and loves people and wants to reach their community. It's more about him and them than it is about me. And so we need to keep our foundations there. I don't want to be a tribal church, but by that I mean I don't want us to be carbon copies of each other. Honestly, we don't have to be the same. God didn't make us the same. We can use different translations like different songs and different styles of music. We can have different skin colors and speak different languages. I, I, I tire sometimes as a pastor of the complaints, you know, from people that indicate, I want a church my way. You know, the, the complaints I hear, we're, we're too old-fashioned. At the same time, I'll hear we're too modern. I hear we're too loud, too hot, too cold, too informal, too long too weird are the most common one I get. The associate pastor doesn't even wear shoes. (laughs) It's okay. He's going to grow up someday. I think I heard him admit today he's almost a senior adult. Listen, the reality is that Jesus came for all and we're all different. 
rejoice in that, enjoy that. It's Jesus and not culture or traditions or preferences that bind us. It's our faith in Jesus that takes people who are far different and makes us into one fellowship. So I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want to be an angry church. I mean, there are a lot of churches, they're just mad at the world on hot button issues. They're always mad. I'm not even sure I get all these initials right, but they're they're mad at LGBTQIA+. Did I get everything in there? I don't know. I don't know. Or, or they're mad at abortion, or they're mad at uh, critical race theory, or, or they're mad at, at immigration. Listen, I don't want us to be a mad church. Those are issues that need to be dealt with. They're not unimportant. But I don't want us to be a mad church, always angry about things. Listen, uh, I want us to focus on love and forgiveness and peace and, and, and God's love. We don't have to be mad because our message is about Jesus and it's good news. And if we just come across the world as mad, we just turn them off. Or we attract a bunch of mad people and we get worse. I don't want that. I don't want us to be a boring church. Vance Havner, some of you know who he is. He once said that the church begins at 11 o'clock sharp and ends at 12 o'clock dull. The same old leads to the same old. And besides giving everyone a chance to get a, a good nap, nothing much is accomplished in a boring church. So that's why we had camps and movies and picnics and meals and occasional surprises. But more than events, it's when God is at work, church is not boring. So I don't want us to be just a boring, liturgical, just go through the motions kind of church. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few months studying and learning from the early church what a church should be. The book we're studying is called Acts. More complete title is Acts of the Apostles. It's often called Acts of the Holy Spirit. I like Warren Wearsby's title, The Acts of God's People Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our reading today is Acts 1, 1 through 11. I do want you to notice verse 8 when we get to that. I may pause and read that one twice because that is both the key verse in today's passage and it is the outline for the entire book of Acts, the expansion of the church in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the way, we're still in that era. We're not exactly at the ends of the earth, but I'm pretty sure after having come back from vacation, it's somewhere between Tonopah and Quartzsite. I'm not sure exactly where the ends of the earth are, but we're still living in that same era where we're to carry the gospel to the ends of the world. And so the last message in this series will be Acts chapter 29. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but we continue it today. It's our job now. So let's stand and read the first 11 verses of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, (laughs) in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me read that again because that's the key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the church. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You may be seated. What I want to do is share with you this week and next week, and there are eight of them, foundations from chapter one, kind of foundational truths. This is what the church is all about. These are the things that we need to remember. These are the values that define who we are. And I want to talk about what were the, the foundations of their church and apply them to our church. I promise I did not choose this reading because it was dedicated to Theophilus. That is my favorite Bible name and the future name of one of my grandchildren. I can't guarantee that, but that's what I'm working for. It means lover of God or friend of God. And Luke, who wrote Acts, that's the, the former book he referred to, the Gospel of Luke, dedicated it to a man by the name of Theophilus. We really don't know anything about him. Was he a Christian in the early church? Was he a, a sponsor who helped Luke? Or was he just someone that Luke was hoping would read these and become a Christian? We, we really don't know. But he picks up right where he left off in the Gospel of Luke. And he talks about the resurrection appearances, the ascension, the commission, and then church life. Now, I want you to understand the challenges of the disciples as they entered into this era. For three years, the disciples had spent nearly every minute with Jesus. He was their leader, their brain, their power, and their focus. And now he was gone physically, and they had to figure out from God what comes next. Who leads? What do we do? How do we organize ourselves? What's the plan? And they had to sit down and pray and think it through. What did Jesus teach us? We were so excited about the ongoing miracles and everything else. Let's think it through. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. And out of that process, as they transitioned from time with Jesus to time filled with the Holy Spirit doing God's work, they became a church that did exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And they spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire in only one generation. So we can learn from them. 
their foundations should be our foundations. Their values should be our values. I don't want you to go into the book of Acts saying this, this is a, a very interesting history lesson. What it really is, is it's a manual on church life. This is how to do things. This is what should be important to you. This is what I want you to do. So we're going to look in the next couple of weeks at eight foundations in chapter one alone. We will add to those as we go on. But even in chapter one, the church learned eight things that they needed to focus on. And the first one is obvious, but we're in trouble if we forget it. They were reminded and they set as their foundation the reality of Jesus. This is obviously the great foundation of the church for them and for us. Jesus spent after his resurrection 40 days appearing to them, proving to them that he was alive. It's not a ghost. This was not just a a one-time thing. It's not a hallucination. And so over 40 years, he kept appearing to them. He loved them. He ate with them. He taught them. He gave them their commission. He promised them the Holy Spirit. And he did everything he could do to prepare them for life without his physical presence. Even with him gone, their focus would still be on Jesus. Their message was about him and nothing else. He is. He came. He died. He rose again. He's alive today, and he's calling you to believe in him. And Jesus made it clear to them, and it was not that complicated and not that hard. This is what I want you to do. It's about me. That reality that Jesus is alive has to be the ultimate foundation of our church. He's our Savior, He's our Lord, He's our God, He's our focus, and He's our message. A church that does not constantly, every week, major on Jesus is like a hospital without doctors or nurses. What's the point? Or like a library without books. Why are you even here? As a church, all that we do has to focus on Jesus. We talk to Jesus. We learn about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. We love people and we help people in Jesus' name. We imitate Jesus. We make disciples of Jesus. That's our focus. That's who we are. We're not primarily a building, a company, an organization, a fellowship, a club, or a service organization. We are Jesus' people gathered to do the work of Jesus. And that has to be foundation one in everything that we do. So let's not forget who we are or what we believe. And if you can't explain that to others, maybe you need to learn it yourself. It's foundation one, and it's not that complicated. What we believe, and I know whole books and libraries have been written on it, but you need to be able to share that in a minute or two. This is what we believe. There is a God. He is real. He loves me. He sent his son, who is God, down from heaven to earth. Jesus showed us how to live, taught us how to live. He loved us, and then he died for us so that our sins could be forgiven. He was crucified on a cross, but he rose on the third day. He's alive today, and he's calling you and I to put our faith and trust in him. Him and follow him. You need to be able to say that very quickly, very easily, because people think the church is about everything else. You're just into money. You're just into politics. You're just into telling me how to live. Listen, it's about Jesus. 
And that has to be our ultimate foundation. Don't overcomplicate it. It's all about Jesus. Now, the second foundation that Jesus gave was the promise of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Jesus has said this many times in the Gospels. We will talk about it in much greater detail in a couple weeks when we get to the day of Pentecost. But Jesus' teaching was this, and it's pretty simple. Listen, I'm going away. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I want you to wait here until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Don't start preaching. Don't start going out into the world. You wait here until the Holy Spirit comes because I'm going to fill you, empower you, and baptize you in my spirit, totally immerse you in my Holy Spirit, and then incredible and miraculous things will happen, and then you will be able to do what I've called you to do. Now, that must be our understanding and our reality today. We can do nothing well without the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we can preach our hearts out. But if the preacher isn't filled with the Spirit and the congregation isn't praying for the power of the Holy Spirit, no one's going to be changed. Don't evaluate things wrong. Well, we might enjoy ourselves. We might have fun. We might think a good church, but, but no one's really going to be changed because only the Holy Spirit can do that. So until the Holy Spirit came, these were good, believing people but powerless. And nothing miraculous happened until Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down. And then people were saved. Then lives were changed. And then the church exploded. A church that doesn't believe in, pray for, and expect the power of the Holy Spirit is kind of like a flashlight that doesn't believe in batteries. It will shine for a time and look good but in the end, it will become powerless. Um, we have in our trailer that we go camping in, one of those, and it's really nice. It's a very nice rechargeable lantern. Used it last year on vacation. It was good and bright. Used it this year on vacation. It was good and bright when we started, and it was starting to get dim by, by the time our camping trip was over. Here's the problem. One of those, you know, you plug in a cord and, and then you plug it in and, and it recharges. I have no idea where that cord is. <laughs> I think I have it somewhere. And if I don't find it, because it's not a standard one, if I don't find it, it's trash. I'll get a new one, yeah. Listen, the church without the power of the Holy Spirit is like a lantern without a battery. It's going nowhere. It's doing nothing. It may look good. I mean, it's a really nice-looking lantern. And for a while, it's good. But it'll run out of power. And so a church needs to constantly focus on, meet together, pray for, ask for, expect that God's Spirit is going to be at work. And if we're not, we're not going to be a good church for very long. Like a battery, we will run out of power. So the second foundation of a church is an understanding of the promise of His Spirit. And we'll talk more about that on, on the day we study the, the, the Pentecost. The third foundation is that the church, based on Jesus' words and the words of the two men, the angels who were there when He ascended, is that we have this absolute understanding in the promise of His return. It's interesting because the disciples had to have 
47 questions for Jesus during that 40 days. Just a bunch of them. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? The only one Luke recorded was to paraphrase, is this the time? Is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom? Is this the time we're going to look forward to? The only really question they asked was, was about his return. And Jesus reminded them, and by the way, we need to be reminded of this every time a preacher or prophet or author makes a prediction who claims to think they know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus, in essence, said, it's not for you to know. That time has been set by the authority of God, and it's not for human knowledge. It's a God thing. In the meantime, you got work to do. But you do so with the urgency that you know that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. He hasn't told us. But we know is he's coming. Don't worry when, when the disciples were looking up. Jesus ascended and now he's hidden by the clouds. So don't worry. In the same way he went up, he will return. And it's the foundation of all true churches that we believe in the return of Jesus someday. And so we understand we're on a limited time schedule. We don't have forever. There needs to be an urgency in our work and in our prayers and in our disciple making. Because the trumpet could sound today or it could sound in a hundred years and we don't know. But it will sound And so let's get busy until the whistle blows, the bell rings, and the trumpet blows, because then the time for doing God's work on earth will be no more. And so a church, a church that wants to be like Jesus, has these foundations, the reality of Jesus, the promise of His Spirit, the promise of His return. And the fourth foundation is a focus on His command to be witnesses of Jesus and to make disciples. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said. I don't see a whole lot of options in there. I'm highly suggesting that you ought to think about being my witnesses. No, it was a definite statement. You will be my witnesses in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they took that literally for Acts tells the story They did it, and they spread the gospel even in that order. They started right outside the upper room on the day of Pentecost, right there in the center of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. By Acts chapter 8, the gospel had spread beyond Jerusalem to Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and then to Samaria. By chapter 10, it had moved beyond the Jews, and they were now making disciples of Gentiles. By chapter 13, a full-fledged missionary enterprise began to take the gospel to the Roman Empire and beyond. And the first church passed that command on to the next generation, and now it's our turn. To you younger ones, my generation didn't do as well as we would have liked. We're still working on it. We didn't do as well as we would have liked and make it to the ends of the earth. It's your turn now. That's your command. That's your commission. That's what the church is supposed to be, to be witnesses of Jesus in an effort to make disciples of every land, every people, every tribe. But it starts right here.
It's our command, our commission, our task, our job. Despite some bumps along the way that we will study in the book of Acts, the church did it. And the very last verse of the book tells how Paul, even while under house arrest, so it reads like this, it's the last verse, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Nothing stopped the early church. Not persecution, not arrests, not jail, not martyrdom. At times, thousands of people responded to the gospel. At other times, whole towns rejected the gospel. But they never grew discouraged. They kept doing the thing that Jesus commanded them to do. Go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and tell people about Jesus. Be witnesses. Make disciples. That's still who we are. I know there's a thousand things that seems like that we do in church life. That's the command. That's the commission. That's the go do this. And we can do everything else well if we're not doing that well. We're not following Jesus. A farmer hired a man to irrigate his crops. But it was August in Arizona, and it was hot outside. So the man instead straightened up the office, washed the vehicles, changed the oil in the trucks, cleaned the garage, repaired the tractors, sharpened the tools, and oiled all of the equipment. The crops died. The man was fired. It wasn't because he did anything bad. The things he did were good things. But he failed to do the one thing he was hired to do. He did good things. But he didn't do the main thing. And for us, and we need to remember this as a church, because we're involved in dozens of ministries, the heart of every one has to be Tell people about Jesus and make disciples. For us, the main thing is being a witness of Jesus. And that's the most important job in the world to make disciples. And we must keep the main thing the main thing. That's why we're here. There's a thousand other good things to do. But that's why we're here. That's our calling. And no matter what your job in the church is, Figure out a way to use that to make disciples, to strengthen existing disciples, to make them more like Jesus, and to let people, to let people know who Jesus is. I was really proud of our church on, on Wednesday. Um, I'm not sure I get the numbers exactly right. These are close estimates. But during our, our Wednesday food distribution, we helped 114 different families families for a total of 546 people. More? Oh, good, she's saying back there. And we had 10 new volunteers 
A lot of them homeschool children who say, hey, I can do this with mom and dad. And we had three volunteers running the handout Bibles, share the gospel, pray for people in both English and Spanish. You see what it is. It's not just help people with food. It's to show people love and then talk to people about God's love. It's pray for people who need God's help, pointing them to God. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing in every single one of our ministries. That's what we do. That's who we are. We have to focus on his command. And listen, if you're a believer and a part of the church, I want you to understand, just straight out, it's your job. It's not Pastor Jack's job with a little help from Jeremy. It's not the staff's job. It's not the deacon's job. It's not the outreach team's job. It's your job if you're a preschool teacher. It's your job if you're a custodian. It's your job if you're a food worker. It's your job if you work with the youth. It's your job no matter what you do. All of it is built together with the goal of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and telling people about Jesus in an effort to make disciples of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we do. So action steps. I told you I was going to cut the, the six to three. Not because the other three aren't important. You're going to hear about them next week. But I want you to, to, to focus on based on what we've learned so far. So, so number one, decide what you believe. I mean, no more, I'm not sure, I'm uncertain. You know, I'll, I'll figure it out someday. I'm not asking you to understand everything. But do you believe the basics? There is a God. He loves me. Jesus is his son. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he wants me to follow him. Do, do you really believe those things? And do you really believe that Jesus is the focus of the church and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do, do you really believe those things? Decide that. Nail it down. Because if you're wishy-washy on what you believe, you're going to be wishy-washy about your actions. If you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to meet together with us to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. It just ain't going to happen because you don't really believe it. And so prayer will become a chore. And prayer meeting will become a hassle. But if you believe that the power is in the Holy Spirit, it changes your actions, not just your head. So, so decide what you believe. Number two, and listen, a lot of you have already done this. Some of you have not. Join a church. That's number three, really. I'll get to number two next week. Join a church. This church hopping is not the answer. Now, I'm not saying you've got to join a church the first time you come. But you can't dilly-dally. Because, you know, it's like a football player without a team. You can hold out for an offer for a while, but the game is coming. And you're either on a team or you're not. And last I heard, you can't play football by yourself. So you join a team. This is my team. Maybe they're not paying me much. Maybe they're not much of a winner. Maybe they're not perfect. I, it doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm going to be on a team if I play football. If you're a Christian, there is no biblical form of Christianity separate from the church. Join a church. I mean, the most common thing, and I hear this a lot today. You know, I really believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the church. That's an unbiblical statement. A good deacon of mine years ago. He's gone home to be with the Lord since. His name was Art Carlton. 
used to go on visiting with him. And one thing I loved about him is he was bold, direct, kind, but bold. And so we visited someone, someone had given us the name, hey, this guy used to go to church for years. I mean, like 30 years. He, he was active in a church. He moved here to Mojave Valley, doesn't go to church anymore. I think if somebody would go visit him, he would, he would be glad to come. And we got there on his doorsteps, and we started talking to him, and he was just as bold as could be in saying, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They do this wrong. They do that wrong. I'm tired of going to church. They're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And Art, I don't know if this was effective or not, but it was true. He said, if we're a bunch of hypocrites, then come join us. One more won't hurt. <laughs> Pretty much that was the end of the conversation, but it was true. If you're criticizing the church, you are criticizing the family of Jesus Christ. You come to me and you criticize my wife, we're going to have a problem. You criticize my kids, that's my job. Uh, We're going to have some trouble. Because you're criticizing my family and I love them. Listen, the church is the family of Jesus and he loves us despite our imperfections. So find a church, join a church. You can say, this is mine. These are my people, and I'm going to serve God together with them. And then number three, four, five, six, whatever it is, go tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be a world-class evangelist. You don't have to be a preacher. But listen, if you really love Jesus, you're not going to be able to keep quiet about it. Someone told me one time, you, you talk too much about your family. It's because I love my family. It's just natural. It just comes out. And if I love Jesus, it's just natural. It's going to come out. This is who I am. I got a wife. I got nine children. I got nine grandchildren. I'm going to talk about them because I love them. And I got a God that I love more than everybody else together. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about Jesus. And sometimes just talking about Jesus, just talking about Jesus, starts people thinking and asking questions. Can, can I pray for you? That's one of my best evangelistic hooks. Can I, can I pray for you? Well, yeah, sure. And, and then they begin to wonder, wow, there's somebody out there that still really believes in God, that God's going to answer this prayer. And it starts them thinking. And then sometimes I have conversations with them, sometimes I don't. But that's the hook that I use to start, because I talk about Jesus and I pray in Jesus' name. That's your job come back next Sunday and you've talked to no one about Jesus, you haven't done your job. I don't know any other way to be more clear about it than that. This is not theory. This is not philosophy. You've been hired to irrigate the crops. No, you've been hired to talk to people about Jesus. So open your mouth and talk Jesus. But if you're going to do it, you better live a life that matches. And we'll talk about that down the road as well. Listen, I want us to be the church God wants us to be. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.